eight. How many books there are in the Bible? Are you sure? say that's how we count it. How many books were in what we would call the Old Testament as the Jews count? Andrew, you should know. 37.
His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried, thou broughtest us into the nets, thou laidst affliction upon our loins, thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Wow. I will go to thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. Lawful offer bullocks with goats. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. By the way, y'all remember what the theme was for our conference? What God has taught me. I think that's safe, don't you? I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. No talking trash. Talking about our great God. That's what I'm talking about. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Ooh, that's a whole sermon in itself. But verily God hath heard me, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. You heard me read every word. What? Did you hear me read every word? Were you listening? Did I read every word? What did I not read, Brother Sean? Well, it says Salah or Selah. Or, I'm not even sure how they would have pronounced it because I've talked to rabbis and they're not even sure, let alone what it means. Maybe it was a pause. Maybe it means repeat. I don't know what it means. Andrew, you ask uh, Brother Porter what that word means. He might say one thing and Brother Martin Jameson might say something else. Is Tim still teaching there too? He might say something else indeed. That's why I pause. We ought to reflect. We ought to reflect about everything we read in God's Word. <clears throat> Great things in this song. And I have one theme I want to bring out this afternoon, and that is beholding the works of God. <coughs> Men build things, and they think, wow, look at this! The Greeks wanted to brag on man's accomplishments in ancient times, and they had a list of 
the seven wonders of the world. This many were on Greek land. This many were elsewhere. How many are still standing? Only one. The oldest of the seven. The pyramids of Egypt. Oh, that was something. They were probably centuries old when Abraham went down there. Many of God's people were in Egypt at one time or another. And if they saw that mountain made by man, other things built by man came, impressed a lot of folks, and are no more. Sometimes men don't care about leaving what they've done, what they've accomplished, how they would be remembered. When Thomas Jefferson died, he had already arranged to have his stone engraved. And he mentioned some things that he did. But there's one great accomplishment in our books for which he was not recognized on his tombstone. Hmm. So maybe it wasn't as important to him as the things that we think of. In Romans chapter 1, Paul's reminded that he had a lot of good marks on his record as far as men go. But you got any bragging rights? Well, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16... Oh, I got some things I'd rather you not know about. I would hope I wouldn't lie, but I sure shouldn't brag about some of the stinker things I did. Yeah, I was a sinner too. Still am. But there's some things we have no reason to be shy about. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Am I ashamed of the gospel of Christ? God help me if I am. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? God help you if you are. Mark, should I? I had some kind of, wasn't a doctor, but a kind of sort of a doctor. And I asked, where are you going to go? I go to the I told Mark, if I was ashamed of where I went, I'd wonder, why am I even going there? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Your only hope, my only hope, is the good news of Jesus Christ. The law, the law condemns. The law tempts you know, you are unsatisfactory. And it was Paul himself used to write to the Galatians. The law was our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. <coughs> Now, I've been married to a school teacher a lot of years. Sometimes we hear that word schoolmaster. We might think of 
some lady with a stick, you know, you be good or I'm going to send you to... That's not the image you should have. The pedagogue, pedagogue, however you want to pronounce it, was the slave assigned to the young man, the heir of the household. He's the one that made sure you got up in the morning and you took care of all your chores and you paid attention in school and you showed respect and your character was being shaped. You weren't the little guy's buddy. You were his pedagogue. Interestingly, that word was translated schoolmaster. Don't think the teacher, dear Miss Trumbull, first Arkansan we really came to love, Azalea Trumbull. She was already a grandma when we met her. And she had grandma's paddle. It was basically a board with a lot of padding around it. That's what we tend to think of sometimes. Yeah, what's a teacher going to, especially these days, it's not like they have a paddle of any kind. But uh, Paul can relate to this one. Think drill instructor. When Jack Dublishen would say that I wanted to get away from my parents because they had to tell me what to do, so I went to the Marines. He said I was standing there, and that drill sergeant, he'd yell in one ear, and I could feel my brains going out the other. That's the pedagogue. That's what the law does. You do your best. Not good enough. But I tried. Try harder. They told me to jump. Jump higher. They told me to shout. Shout louder. Whatever you're doing, double it. If we use man's standard, eh, anything will do. But as Paul said, when he stood before a king, the things we've done, they were done in a corner. God's not just hiding away. The angel at the tomb said, what are you doing here? He's not here. Some people looking for Jesus in a manger. Some people looking for him on a cross. Some people looking for him in a tomb. He ain't in any of those places. Hebrews tells us he's there. The right hand of the Father. Stephen didn't see him as the life was being beaten out of him in a manger, in a carpenter's workshop, on a tomb, in a on a cross or in some tomb, he saw him right there. When the Lord was there with his disciples, the ones who had been shown by God's grace just exactly who this one was, they said, this is the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. And yet even they were amazed when out in a storm with the wind blowing and the waves going up and down and all around. And all he had to do was to hush that wind and that wave. Smooth as glass. 
No breeze against your face. And they said, What manner of man is this? Oh, I know there's some men that bluster an awful lot. They talk about how rough and tough and they don't take no stuff off anybody. Jesus didn't have to lift 600 pounds. Jesus didn't have to uh, pull a, a great weight or something like that. His very words carried power such that when he's at the grave of Lazarus, he spoke the man's name. And the man came forth. Now if Lazarus were alive, wrapped up in winding cloths, basically like a mummy, you take a live man with all kinds of vitality, you tie him up like a mummy and say, get up, come on, show you're a man. Can't do it. And yet, even though he was dead and wrapped with those claws, he came forth bound. The Lord didn't say, well, if he can do that, he can get himself out. No, he loosened, let him go. I don't think Lazarus kept those rags as a memento of the four days that he spent in the grave. We have in this psalm a twofold invitation. And verse 5 says, Come and see the works of God. Pay attention to this. Oh, you go sightseeing? We talked to somebody, oh, I went to Rome and I saw this and I saw that. Wow! Took a lot of pictures, a lot of memories I'll have the rest of my life. Well, what man does is nothing compared to what God has done. Think of that next time you're looking at a sunset. Think of that the next time you watch a hummingbird. I can move my arms back and forth like that. Yeah, how about if you could do that 200 times in a minute? I don't think so. Little fellas, and they don't fly like airplanes, they fly like helicopters. They can go up and left and right, darting around, zip zap. It's kind of hard for another bird to home in on a helicopter. Hummingbird, if you will. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men, it says in verse 5. And then in verse six, 16, Come and hear all ye that fear God. That's the problem. Men don't fear God. Who's afraid of the big bad God? That's the attitude of this world. I'm sure in Noah's day there were many people who said, This guy Noah, the crazy old guy, he says God's going to flood the earth. With what? Something called rain. Rain? Yeah. He says there's going to be water falling down on us and coming up from us. Yeah, right. I'm afraid there are a lot of people in this world today, when you warn them about the judgment of God, that's exactly their response. Yeah, right. I'm really scared. I believe it when it happens. I don't think there's going to be a great warning other than what God has already said. Otherwise, why would 
Father Abraham, in the Gospel of Luke, tell that formerly rich man when he said, this, this, this is real! I can't believe how horrible this is! Uh, send Lazarus. So get somebody. Get the Lord. I got five brothers haven't died yet. They need to know that all those warnings are for real. And the response was, they have Moses and the prophets. You know why they didn't, they didn't say they have the New Testament? Hadn't been written yet. But there was enough revelation in those 22 as they count them, 39 as we count them, books of the Old Testament, loud and clear. And so the response from Father Abraham was, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither would they listen if one came back from the dead. Oh, there may be some explanation. Somebody could give some way they would say. What do you find here? Focus on verses 5, 6, and 7 with me, please, because that's where I want to park. First of all, His works are great. His works are mighty. You might ooh and ah over something men have built. You might go to South Dakota when we have Mount Rushmore, Four great presidents carved in stone. Lord Philborn didn't make the cut, did he? But you got George Washington. You got Thomas Jefferson. And you've got, oh, by the way, the thing that he left off was not Mount Rushmore, because that wasn't even made until the 20th century, and he died early in the 19th. But you got Washington, number one. You got number three, Mr. Jefferson. You got Lincoln, number 16. And then we have the younger Teddy Roosevelt. Making the cut like that. That says something about each of them. And yet, the works of God cause the things that we carve, the things that we memorialize, the things that we ooh and ah over, they are as nothing. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. Sometimes men put on a display, and maybe it comes from the heart. They have put their hand to it. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that anything that a man makes is foolish or idolatrous. It tells us that in the days of Moses, there were a couple of fellows. One of them's name was Aholiab. And it says they were filled with the Spirit. They weren't preachers. They weren't prophets. But they worked with their hands to the glory of God. Don't think, well, look, a preacher can glorify God. This preacher knows that ain't so. You glorify God. When you work on the job, you put a full day's work in. You are conscientious. You know that even if the boss doesn't catch it, the Lord's watching. Is it good enough for the Lord? So, well, I, I got pretty high standards. 
something tells me the Lord's standards are even higher than yours, but you should realize we work, number one, to please God, not to please ourselves or our fellow men. And uh, to the same degree that we are conscientious, I hope and pray when you come to church, it's with the highest of motives. The best of intentions. Feed me till I want no more. I want to hear the prayers of God's people. I want to rejoice in hearing about answered prayers. I want to sing the, the songs that glorify God. I want to hear preaching that says, here's what the Word says. And let me compare Scripture with Scripture. I want to give you Scripture. My ideas, only as they line up with God's Word, are worth hearing. Somebody said, well, I'm, I think Mr. Spurgeon is pretty good. Well, I do too. But you still need to check it out in the Word. You say, well, so-and-so taught me this, and so-and-so taught me. If it's the truth, remember what it says in Ephesians? The truth as it is in Jesus. Someone else may have heard the truth. Sometimes they may color it a little bit. We need a filter. This is our filter right here. This is what we check it out with. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. So the first part about five says, Behold is great and his mighty works. And what's it say in the second part? He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. In other words, we can't deny God has done a great thing. In the 139th, the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The marvel to me is not that every once in a while when something goes kerflooey, doctors have a way they might be able to prescribe a medication they might be able to recommend some exercise they might even have to put you under the knife it's a marvelous thing what we can do with modern medicine but you realize that 24-7 God has got all these things going on well, we ate a pretty good lunch in there, didn't we? And right now, the food you ate, have you consciously thought, now, stomach, get to work? Come on. A body, take in the nourishment. And, and uh, lungs, make sure you breathe out all that carbon dioxide. That'll kill you. If we put you in a tank and there's just carbon dioxide, a lot of air, but nothing you can breathe. It'll kill you. Plants will get along fine. They give off O2, but... We desperately need that O2. Our body can take in what's out there and breathe out the nitrogen and other gases. The marvel is that we don't have more things go for fluid. The fact that he makes a body and if we're good stewards of that body, theoretically, I think that's why in the 90th it says, we're allotted 70 years, but a lot of folks don't make it to 70. <coughs> I've had a lot of good preacher brethren didn't quite make 70. 
Marsha's dad was 66. Earl Smith was 66. Robert Murray Machine died before he was 30. And yet men still read his sermons. Men are still touched by the time that he put in. <coughs> Some people live three times that long and they leave no imprints. We have an opportunity to make a mark for Jesus Christ. Would you want to be known for honoring the Lord? Or like the young lady introduced me to a, one of her friends. That's Steve Rates. He's a preacher. He used to go to our church. I felt kind of good when she said that. And he really likes mashed potatoes. <laughs> That's what she remembered? What will people remember about us? And sometimes you only have to do it once and it gets remembered. It only takes once to really blow it, and you have marred and scarred your reputation. We need to be careful about that. But the works of our great God, they cannot be denied or dismissed. Men may go through the motions of doing that. Heard about a man who says, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's a God. And so he went on his front lawn. And he made him a sign. God is dead. Put it in his front yard and had a heart attack. And nobody cut his grass for a while. The grass grew up, so it just said, God is. That's something that I hope we can remember. Look at verse 6 for a moment. He turned the sea into dry land. How many times did God do that? The children of Israel? <clears throat> How many times? Two or three times. Two or three? Two or three? Do I hear four or five? <laughs> How about six or seven? <laughs> well, it's in uh, verse six, but he only did that twice. Once with no with with Moses, he took a dry land and made it wet with Noah. Uh, in the case of Moses, the Red Sea. With who else did God cause a body of water to dry up so the children of Israel could walk through on dry land? Joshua. Crossing the Jordan. You see, God can do it. It's not a question of what God can do. It's a question of how seriously we take these things. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There we <coughs> rejoice in Him. Do you think any of those Hebrews going through the Red Sea, wow, look what we did. We sure were <laughs> lucky. We must have caught it just the right time. Oh, that, that kind of Moses, he, he knows how to get us through just the right place, just the right time. Three cheers for Moses! No, Moses held out his staff and said, stand still and see the salvation of 
of our God. It's the attitude we should have. And how long does this powerful God remain powerful? If you watch those commercials for the Energizer Bunny, he keeps going and going and going. After the others have conked out, he still keeps going. Well, no disrespect to the Energizer people, but sooner or later, anything you have powered by batteries, they're going to wear down. They're going to wear out. Anything man makes that goes from order to confusion. The shiny things rust. The other things, so good when they're new and fresh off the line, have a way of breaking down. They atrophy. They're not as good as when they were brand new. But the works of God don't age in the sense that they become decrepit. They become obsolete. God is still in the business of saving souls. Amen. I think sometimes people say, Hey, you know the day, the day of the Lord saving a lot of people. That's behind us. You know that for a fact? Well, you know, it says in the Bible it happened back then. We don't see it today. Oh, really? You ever read those missionary reports? Great things are happening in Thailand. Great things are happening in Mexico. Great things are happening where Brother Raul is. Great things are happening in a lot of other places. We may not support them with our funds. For our prayers, we might not even know about them, but God's Word is still going out and God's people are being called. God's people are being pricked in their hearts and their minds. God's people are answering the call. God's people are doing what they're supposed to do. You don't want to get in the syndrome of the prophet, is it? I'm the only one. The Lord said, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one, but you are one. And you should shine in the corner where you are. <clears throat> so his past works, they glorify him. Don't they? At the same time, it humbles us. Somebody says, I'm not impressed by what you call the miracles of God. Could you do that? Or you might say, well, in my imagination, I'm not talking about your imagination. Can you do that? Can you turn the water into wine? Somebody says, well, you know, if I took a big barrel of water and I dumped a bunch of Welch's concentrate in, or if I dumped a bunch of, of powder like Kool-Aid and stirred it up, whoo, look what I did. But there is a chemical difference between the juice when it comes out of the fresh squeezed grape and the wine. In fact, if you read John chapter 2 carefully, it tells us that the men who drank the wine that Jesus had created from the water said, you guys don't know how it works. You're supposed to get the best wine at the front. Then when the men have had a lot to drink, that's when you bring out the the cheap stuff. 
But you saved the best for last. It would be amazing. You see, our Lord never does a thing halfway, now does He? His works glorify Him, and at the same time, we are humbled. All through the Scripture, all we need to do is just read and meditate on the great God that we have. So He said, you don't have to make a movie about it. That's the problem with movies. Some people have enough sense to know just because they put it on a film and project that on a screen, we think that's the way it happened. I used to be a professional teacher of history. I'd show people films and i say, now, for extra credit, list as many historical inaccuracies as you can from that film. That's how you find out if they really know what they're talking about. Well, I think when this happened, maybe that really did happen. And when I think this was bogus, that actually did happen. You have no substitute for knowing the Word and comparing Scripture with Scripture. We are humble. We should be moved to glorify Him. And then look at verse 7. For you see, the power of our God isn't just for a moment. It isn't just for your lifetime. It isn't just for this century. It's for eternity. Verse 7 says, He ruleth by His power for a little while. No! Forever! If the Lord doesn't come first, I will die. You will die if it's not for however long. Our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren will all be gone. And yet He will still be God. And even after the new heavens and new earth, they're going to be gone someday. The things we're so used to, the familiar, going to be gone. Going to be replaced. New heavens. New earth. Think about the things that will be in the new heaven. Read about that in the book of Revelation. Think about things being on the new earth. Read about that in Scripture. What about the things that aren't mentioned? Maybe that's a pretty good sign that there won't be such. Maybe the things that we put so much stock in. Somebody said, do you think we'll drive electric cars or gasoline cars in heaven? Will there be trains? Old Jimmy Rogers sang that song. Will there be any hobos in heaven? Any boxcars which they might ride? And I don't know if there's going to be any trains or planes or automobiles, but there's going to be a Lord. There's going to be a number that no man can number. He's going to take care of us. What about my favorite restaurant? What about my favorite this, my favorite that? Check out the word. Try to find it in the word. Give me some scripture that says we're going to have that. Well, I feel like, you know what you feel like? What I feel like, that eh, doesn't cut it. What's it say in the Word? Well, I'm just used to. Well, there are a lot of things you are going to not be used to. If you have a big toe that aches, guess what? That's one thing you won't have. 
Praise the Lord. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And that's one of those salahs. Think about it. Get your attention. You see, when God shows his power, it's a seamless display. If you were with us several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 29, and uh, all 11 verses remind us that it's going on and on and on. If it's obsolete to you to worship God, I'm not talking about flashbang, wow, look at that. All the things that men might put on to the marvel of electronics or whatever. But what God continues to do. Seamless display. And it happens perpetually. One of the names of God is El Olam. El Olam. And it means the everlasting God. Some of the heathen in the Old Testament, I believe, well, so-and-so is the God of the valleys, and so-and-so is the God of the mountains, they were territorial. But ours is the God for everywhere, all the time. It's not for naught that we say God is good all the time. i got four black tires. God's still God. Well, I don't know. No, read your Bible. All the time. And when we look at this passage, we're reminded that God is the one who's sovereign. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. The question is asked rhetorically, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, God is not the author of foolishness. He doesn't do foolish things. But anything that makes sense, God is able to do. And He's done a lot of amazing things that I suspect we won't even have a clue about till we cross the veil. We might say that God sure is smart. God sure is creative. God is able to do all these amazing things. He didn't have to give you five different imprints on this hand and then five different ones over here and they don't match anybody else's. Wow. Why did he do that? Was there a rule that said he had to? No, God was pleased to be that way. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's omnipotent. means all-powerful. He's all-knowing. In other words, he's omniscient. He knows everything you've ever thought or felt or said or done. Everything. Yep. He knows what's going on right now. The thoughts racing through your head and mind. The attitudes. The intentions. The words we're ready to speak. The actions we're ready to follow through on. He even knows what you're going to think tomorrow. Well, I'll beat God. And I'll just, uh, tomorrow I'm going to, God already knows today. In fact, he's always known. That's our great God, knowing all these things. And then, 
to resist him is futile. In several science fiction series that have the big bad enemy come along and they say resistance is futile. Futile, rather. You can run, but you can't hide. You can get away from what men do. You can deceive men. You can even deceive yourself. Sometimes that's not so tough. But you don't fool God for a minute. And I don't either. So instead of spending our time trying to impress folks, or even ourselves, let's remember, God is at work. God's works will stand even after the pyramids have gone to sand. Even after the mountains are down. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Let's stand for prayer.